Welcome back to the Stab Podcast channel. I'm your co-host, Stace Galbraith, and no contest with Ashton Goggins is back. Stab and Red Bull's look into food, culture, and the customs of some of surfing's richest international surf communities. You can check out this episode and the rest of the season on Red Bull TV. In this episode, we head to South Africa, where we will be joined by none other than Geordie Smith, Mikey February, and a host of South Africa's kindest locals, Alan Van Geysen, Shane Sykes, Sophie Bell, Luke Thompson, and surprise, Mapumulo. We're going to take the trek from Durban through the Transkei all the way down to J-Bay. I was lucky enough to catch up with Ashton to take a deeper dive into this episode and find out what makes South Africa so special. Good morning, Mr. Ashton Goggins, all the way from Austria, in the HQ, walking through it. <laughs> How you doing, Stace? Uh, yeah, we're in Salzburg. We just uh, arrived yesterday to premiere the first episode of No Contest Season 8 to the Red Bull HQ and had a really fun like internal screening for their entire staff last night uh, here in Salzburg. Um, we had Laura Coviella from the Canary Islands who was on the trip to Morocco with us here. She, uh, she flew over from the Canaries on the way to Portugal for like the Nazare big wave training. And yeah, I got to show the episode. It was pretty amazing to finally show up. We've been working on it for like six months um, as far as post-production goes. And the, uh, the series really came together um, at the end into like a really, I think it's the, the best uh, episodes that we've ever made for sure. So it was cool to uh, finally get to show it to a, a a live audience. Season eight, I actually am kind of taken back by that because I've been watching every season ever since you know Red Bull No Contest started. But it that's a lot of work. I'd love to know the difference between it, how it started and obviously following the tour, and now to truly becoming no contest and, and going as far away from the tour as possible. Um, well, what's that transition been like? Well, yeah, I think when you and I first met was the first year that I was on tour hosting the show when we um, sort of developed in, it into a little bit more of like a behind-the-scenes travel show on tour. And for me, that was like such a unique experience just being like embedded on the world tour with you guys. And seeing what that experience was like and then you know being able to tell local stories around each location as far as you know the places that were important to surfers on the world tour at each spot um for me it was really special getting to like tap in and like see all these places that you know over the last sometimes 50 years of like surf you know international like world tour surfing that these that those locations had sort of become um really special to a lot of people and to be able to see the places that were important to them was really like for me it was it felt like a unique opportunity um the challenge of that series was that we were limited you know hugely by the time constraints because basically we would go and film you know a week before the tour stops be there during the event film behind the scenes and then we would try and release each episode within a week or 10 days of each tour stop ending so we only had like a week or so of post-production to like grind and get the episodes done. So there was definitely limitations to how deep we could get into different stories and like the sort of complexity of the episodes. Um, and so once we'd done a few laps around the tour and sort of told as many of those stories as we kind of could, um, Anthony Sedgwick and the guys from Red Bull, you know, the idea was to basically like extend um, 
the scope of No Contest into just a full travel series um, and a really like a travel brand around surfing that focuses on local stories um, and the sort of international like tapestry of surf culture that exists these days um, at all these different locations that have, you know, have endemic surf culture to them. Um, and so season seven, um, the, the pivot was off tour and we did Southern Costa Rica, Pavones episode, we did Brazil, uh, Tel Aviv, Italy, um, Fiji, and New York City. And I think that the that series really like catalyzed what the point of No Contest was for people, which was to really highlight like hyper-local community stories, key figures within the culture of each location, local businesses that are, you know, surfer-owned or important to the surf communities, um, and like a real sense of, you know, if you were a traveler wanting to visit these places, you know, who you'd want to meet, where you'd want to eat, like what you want to do. Um, this year we've tr like doubled down on the travel aspect of it, and so the focus of it is around giving people like the best information that they need to visit these places, and having the local characters really explain the culture and the history and the sort of key information that you would want to understand about these places if you went or before you went. Um, and I feel like we've done a pretty solid job of that. I feel like if you watch these, you get a real sense of the place, the people, the community, what makes each place tick, who runs each joint, like who the guys are, and um, and just sort of what's important to each of those communities. So it's um, it's a different, it's a very different type of like surf media to me than the standard like pro surfers going to an exotic location and filming a surf part and putting it out. It's I get to go and like really immerse myself in these people's stories and the result is but I think very different because we're received so warmly by all these places and that's like part of the charm of it is that it's like really you're you're being you're being shown what it's like to visit as a guest and not a tourist and hopefully through this like people can go and have that experience yeah for sure I think you nailed it somewhat poetically there Ashton <laughs> who do you want to meet and where do you want to eat that's that's pretty much it. Like, there's you know when you go to these places, yeah, the surfing's one part, but obviously we rely on so heavily on like the swell turning up because that can make or break your tour experience. Like events are events are won and lost on wave quality, really. And uh, you know the, the the tour is a great place for the world's best to showcase their talent, but if the waves don't show up, it, it can make or break the place, and and that's not really fair. You know, and I think having a little bit longer time frame to, you know, experience these places is amazing. And yeah, you're right. Like we actually, I think not the first time, but one of the first times we met was in uh, Jeffreys Bay. And I think that you kind of coerced a large group of us to go and <laughs> throw ourselves off that bridge. Um, I should know what it's called because I was very proud of myself at the, the time. The Blue Crowns Bridge, bro. Come on. That's it. Yes. I mean, how could I forget? Uh, and, uh, you know, doing those extra little things like around town, like they're not a given when you go to tour stops because you can get really like narrowed in on like just the event and tides and wind and like what's going on out the front. But then, yeah, getting to tap into your program and getting to see like yeah, those other spots is like, yeah, it becomes, it becomes really cool. And I know South Africa is a place that you love going and, and you got to spend a bit of extra time there 
in season eight. Yeah, that was a really, like, for me, being able to go back to South Africa with a totally local focus with this series was really special. I'd been to Jeffrey's Bay a few times for the events, and like you said, you only get a limited experience of a country if you're only locked into that one location during a contest with what's going on. And so we flew in this year to Durban during the Belito Pro and cruised around Durban City with surprise, this little Zulu kid who's like the next international star from South Africa, grew up in Durban City. Um, His father runs Jason Ribbink's Built Factory, which builds Channel Islands and Lost. And he's run the factory for like 25 years. And so surprise has been raised in like this amazing little environment right on the Durban beachfront um, and is like the sickest little goofy foot, like powerful, stocky stanced, um, ripping young Grom. He's like 17 years old. Today, there are surfers from many of South Africa's indigenous tribes, like a teenage Zulu star known formerly as Surprise. Surprise, where are we walking to, bro? Devon Surf. Why is this place special to you? Wow, this place is very special. This is where I learned literally everything about the ocean. This is where I learned how to swim. Surprise is one of the first generations of Zulu Groms who grew up inside the classic South African life-saving clubs, like the iconic Durban Surf, the childhood haunt of countless South African surf stars over the last 60 years. Surprise, grown up watching him since he basically started surfing in Durban. Absolute character, got a powerful backhand, stocky stance. He's really, really small, so yeah, it's that classic case of dynamite fits in small packages. So how old were you when you first started coming here? Seven, eight. Really? Yeah. We were doing like a race, life-saving race, and I was winning the race like in front by far. And by the time I got to the railing, I just got underneath and I just jumped. Everything was just like gone. I forgot that I didn't even know how to swim. For a second, I thought that was it. Luckily, like the, one of the life-saving coaches pulled me up and then I started learning how to swim there. And is it pretty common for, for kids here to not know how to swim at that age? Yeah, very, very common, actually. Especially like African ones. I think to them, the ocean is just about like the white water, but like it's actually way more complicated than they think it is. It's awesome having, you know, different people, you know, people like Surprise, who's, you know, obviously his backgrounds are more of like the Zulu culture and stuff. Surfing is for more than just one type of person. I used to skate around a lot, and then one day Jimmy just called me and said, hey, come give it a try, my dad will give you a couple pushes on the soft top. And I went out, and it was quite fun, but I was kind of standing up switch foot. A couple of months later, Jason told me to switch stance. I started surfing goofy, and I could feel the board turning. And then ever since then, I've always been interested. Surprise spent much of his childhood here on Hunter Street, the main vein of South Africa's board building culture. For more than 20 years, Surprise's father has managed one of the country's most important surfboard factories, Built, which manufactures Channel Islands, Lost, and other international brands in South Africa. We're here at the CI factory. We're about to see some boards. So Surprise's dad, Jakes, he pretty much runs everything in the factory. Everything that comes out of here is due to his hands. <laughs> runs the show. 
A lot of Jake's family actually work here. Sia, who runs the machine, he's been on the machine now for seven years. I always make a joke, I say surprise gets the best boards. So between Sia and his dad, they just like, <laughs> I pick them up, they go, geez, these boards are light. What's going on here? What's the, uh, I wanna get one like that. And then we spent a few weeks in Belito, Salt Rock, and the whole area of the northern coast of the suburbs of Durban which feel almost like a Laguna Beach or like a California city. Um, sort of beach vibes, super beautiful little rocky coastlines and a million varieties of like sand bottom beach break barrels. And super cool roots, local surf scene. Um, we were with Shane Sykes and Sophie Bell. Shane and his family own this little uh, surf shop, an acai shop called Mi Acai, that's like a cornerstone of the Durban surf community. Um, and for the entire trip, we had Alan Van Geisen, who's been on a couple of no contest trips for us now. He's, to me, he's like the preeminent surf pioneer of the African continent. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be on, a, you know, countless trips at this point with AVG. But to have him in his backyard, like taking us through South Africa was, for me, it felt like, I don't know, as close to like the experience I hoped to have when I first saw South Africa in endless summer. Um, and so AVG drove us, we had a little caravan, we surfed in Durban for, for a while, cruised around the city, saw the surfboard industry that's based around Hunter Street and the sort of city center of Durban. We went to see Island Style, the surf accessories brand that was founded in South Africa in the early 80s. Um, uh, Waza, the owner of Island Styles, the, the first guy to build uh, comp leashes. He's the inventor of the double board bag, like the first coffin bags in the 80s. Um, the first wet dry bags were designed by them. And they still have this incredible factory where they build everything start to finish in South Africa. Um, and largely these like mixed groups of like indigenous women that all sew all of the board bags and assemble all of the hard goods. It was radical to see the factory. Um, and then we also went and visited the Scarfini Fins factory, which is where, um, I wonder if it'll, if we'll get in trouble for saying this because we weren't allowed to put it in the episode, but it's where um, Kelly Slater builds all of his endorphins, like their factory is in uh, Salt Rock in Durban. And they basically manufacture the most state-of-the-art, like high-tech uh, composite material fins on the planet. And the same thing, it's all, the whole factory is um, it's run by two Italian brothers that have lived in South Africa since the 90s. And this incredible uh, group of, of guys from every African tribe that exists in that area. They call South Africa the Rainbow Nation because there's so many different indigenous tribes that exist within South Africa. And within all the factories there, whether it's the surfboard factories like Smith Shapes or, you know, Built or Scarfini or Island Style, it's... The entire labor force is these indigenous tribesmen and women, um, and they make incredible stuff in South Africa as far as like national surf industry. Uh, it's one of the most badass countries that I've ever visited. Oh, without a doubt. And yeah, you, you're spot on with like the description of the coastline. It's so similar to, I think, home, you know, like down the coast is a bit more raw and then you get up into surface paradise where it's like tall buildings and expensive setups right on the beach and yeah like south africa has that 
diversity in its coastline. You know, it's 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 really raw, really interesting place to go. And like you said, there's such a different, like the social structures there, are like so much more confronting than you know anywhere else you'll travel in the world. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's definitely a country that you're very aware of the like complicated nature of just the sociopolitics and everything that you know is that that country is sort of known for internationally with apartheid and all of that like it's all present within like the sort of reality of your experience there but it is a country that feels like it's like experiencing progress in a very unique way and for me like I love going to places where you get that like diversity of experience where you know one day you're in like a full urban environment like big city vibes and the next day you're in like a wild empty coastline and that was the what we were trying to sort of portray you know the picture that we were trying to paint with this episode is that experience so the the trip basically was Durban to J-Bay and the stretch between Durban and J-Bay is known as the wild coast is formerly known as the Republic of Transkei and for me growing up like watching the early search movies and you know a lot of the stuff that was filmed during the early 90s in that area around Mozambique all the way down to J-Bay um, it's always just seemed like the wildest like choose your own adventure of a coastline as far as waves go. The drive from Durban or Cape Town to J-Bay has always been that, that iconic road trip drive. You know, it definitely started off with the Gunston 500. The guys were flown in. You know, you had all these legendary old Hawaiian and Australian surfers coming to surf the event. And then straight after that, there was the country feeling event to get to. So you've got two days between the two events and you get here and you're in the J-Bay. Our first stop, the African pipeline, Scottboro Pipe. We're here in Scottboro Pipe. It looks like the swell that we were waiting for showed up this morning right on time, and we're waiting for the tide to drop. Winds and tides are the only things you're really concerned with here. It seems like there's swell all the time. From Scottboro, we were headed through the Eastern Cape's wild coast, known during apartheid as the Republic of the Transkei. The greater part of the drive between Durban and J-Bay, you go through the old Transkei. The Transkei actually is a bit of a combination between the Kozas and the Zulus. It's called Pondoland, and um, it's kind of a mixture of the two cultures. Uh, it's very unique, absolutely beautiful. It's still run to this day by chiefs and you know, kingdoms. Mandela's house is actually somewhere here on the right, and people, like, people actually don't understand how crazy it is, the fact that he grew up here, left, he came back, and built a house here, just to make that statement that he grew up here. It's a long drive, 10 hours, but uh, yeah, we had good waves this morning, so it's been a good start to the day, and excited to see what Port Alfred has. And just in the like week that we were able to drive that coast to J-Bay, we got to like really tap in and experience it. We scored waves from Scottboro Pipe, which I'd, you know, I'd seen that wave in every surf movie that Stab's made with Dane Reynolds down there over the last like 10 years, and so many of Jordy's clips from over the years, and to be able to like act any uh, Frankie Oberheiser sightings? We, I swear I got to meet every guy from South Africa that I've wanted to meet. We got to hang out with Frankie uh, one night in Durban, and he was, he was supposed to come meet up with us, but he ended up going fishing. And he's, it's, it's rare that you meet heroes, like childhood heroes, that like live up to your expectations. And growing up, watching Searching for Tom Curran with Frankie as like the... Uh, the like Robin to Curran's Batman. It was like always like he was like such a like one of those guys. You're like wow, that guy had the most insane opportunity, 
And at that point, I feel like he was like one of the most, to me, most famous free surfers on the planet through the 90s. And when you meet him, he has none of that ego. He's like the most down to earth roots, like absolutely humble South African feral dog, like catches fish, cooks, him on a, cooks it on a fire, surfs. Like that's his, his routine every day. There's like He's the most like self-sustaining, self-reliant dude, and yeah, we got to cruise with him. I got to—I didn't get to meet his son, but I, I saw a ton of clips of his son who surfs just like him. And yeah, I, the the scene, like the whole local crew out of Durban, I I always knew that it was like this dense like crew of guys as far as like that country. Like Durban's always been like a talent center, and. A few of the nights that we were there, we got to see like most of them. Ryan Ribbink, who's probably like the gnarliest, besides AVG, probably one of the gnarliest like surf explorers in Africa. Um, just hardy dudes, you know, which I feel like you guys have those in Australia too, where it's like you show up and it's, you're aware that you're around people that are cut from different cloth. And South Africans are definitely those types. Frankie being a perfect specimen of that variety yeah for sure and it, it's so cool that you got to drive that coastline it's something i've never done but the that coastline has so many crazy waves and any given swell that hits J bay and gets up the coast to Bolito, you could literally pull in anywhere and see you know you're looking for someone to surf with basically yeah so much empty coastline um, and I've heard people like Jordy, you know, like straight faced, unflinchingly say it. And I do think it's true. But South Africa and Africa in general is the final frontier as far as empty, uncrowded, world class waves. I think that coastline's probably the most consistent coastline on the planet. Like as far as full year constant swell, it's pretty unparalleled, you know, between the two different coastlines. You've got the Indian and the Atlantic Oceans, Southern Ocean storms, you know, just as active as anywhere on the planet, and basically nothing separating them for thousands and thousands of kilometers. And so, yeah, I mean, as far as scoring, like, groomed, long-period ground swell, there's nowhere like it. And the whole trip we were there, it was pretty much pumping we got to j-bay for the, the the swell the first swell of the season right before the event and it was you know it's those those days where you you're standing on the beach and you've had this experience like i remember sitting trying to like watching you trying to film like panning down the point where it's just like one wave after the other and people going a thousand miles an hour and it just feels like you're like in the lineup when you're walking up the point um and so it was like we got to have like the full spectrum of like peak experience in South Africa, I feel like scoring at the end of that trip um, and going to check out Cape St. Francis. And we got to go and hang out with Sharon Crack at Country Feeling. Sharon, to me, is one of the like preeminent matriarchs of surf culture. She brought Billabong to South Africa. Um, at the time, she was like hand making board shorts at her shop in J-Bay. She started the Country Feeling Classic, which is the first big international professional event at J-Bay that like really put it on the map as like a competitive amphitheater. And through her work in J-Bay over the past 40 years, she's basically built the surf community that exists there and the surf industry at large in South Africa. To me, she's like one of the founding 
uh, figures of surf culture in South Africa. Um, and to see, you know, how thriving her little business is still today, Country Feeling is like one of those like institutions that you hope never, ever, ever go away. Um, it feels like J-Bay wouldn't be J-Bay without Sharon and Country Feeling. Um, no, not at all. I think her house is like any one of the brand houses in Hawaii when you hear like, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, like the Jerry House exactly. that pipeline. Like you hear, oh, Sharon's place. Like there's a barbecue going on at Sharon's place. And like when you're there, it's almost like this thing in the back of your mind, like, oh, are we going to get the call up? Like <laughs> got to go to Sharon's place, you know? Yeah. And it's it's like, it just is the most magical, like, it's actually a, it doesn't feel real. You, you feel like you're in, like you said, this has that like stadium atmosphere and her place and basically every place on the point has this like incredible television like feeling like when you're sitting there and you're watching the sun go down and you're watching the six to eight foot sets roll and you're like, is this even real? Is this, this can't be real. Yeah, it is one of those like sacred spaces. You like stand like on her like balcony looking out at that wave and you can you feel that energy of like all of the peak moments that people have had at that place over the years like and I feel that like you were saying like anywhere you stand on the point at Bay, at any of those those places you get to stay like African uh, perfection um, you can feel how much like radical shit has happened on that stretch of coast just those like you know that half a mile of sand and rock it's yeah it feels like for a surfer it's uh yeah it's it's holy ground and her house like you said it's it, you you walk inside and you can you you feel like you're in this like church you know it feels like a like a religious space for a surfer similarly like you said it's there's there's those there's a couple houses you know it's like jerry's house maybe uh Mommy and Pop, or uh, what's the, the the family in Chopes that Andy and everybody used to stay at? There's like a couple of houses that they, they're just sort of iconic. Um, and yeah, Sharon's is definitely one of them. Um, I, I remember, am I right in, in that the early days of those contests that when you won, you got a piece of land on the point? Am I, am I wrong? I think that like, I remember Luke Egan. Oh no, for sure. Luke Egan has, has a, um, still has a plot there. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he sold it. I think someone did though. I think Derek Hind had a spot that he didn't win, but he had one and then sold it. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure Luke still has a spot there with nothing on it. Like, which is just insane. Like that's. I mean, where are those prizes at? Let's let's start giving out real estate again. <laughs> like, that's just uh, it's it's next level. I think the the interesting thing about South Africa for me was like, as you know, living on the east coast of Australia, it's quite a long way away. But you can fly there directly from Sydney to Johannesburg, and then from Johannesburg you can go anywhere within an hour. And it, it's one of those places that yeah, it's a long haul, but once you're there. It is just like so worth the effort, you know, and it's really, it's not that different than going to say Los Angeles from Sydney. It, it's very similar. And so for me, it's one of those spots like, I really think we all should be hitting it a lot more is, is what I'm getting at. It's not that far away. And it's a place that it feels as far away as it is like as far as like a culture that feels so foreign and otherworldly to anywhere that I've spent time 
just the wildlife and the landscapes and the it's truly like raw earth and for for that for part of that raw earth to be just raw open ocean swells and world class surf setups is like that's part of your like African expedition. It's a pretty amazing trip. When I get whenever I've come back from South Africa, I've always felt like I was on the trip of a lifetime. Like I always feel so grateful to have gotten to go to that continent. And for this trip, it was yeah, it felt like we got like all of the good the good parts out of it but it's it it's it I never leave there feeling like I'm ready to leave I feel like when I'm there I'm I, I'm always aware of how much potential that place has and how much like just sheer adventure there is available there if you had the time and the energy and you were willing to put in the work that you could just explain I mean I, I think I could spend a decade just driving around Africa chasing waves and like meeting people <laughs> no without a doubt and I think too eating your way around the countryside I know you love a good wine and dine walk me through your South African food routine and drink routine Mr. Ashton so South Africa for people that have never been it's probably the the best bang for your buck value on earth as far as quality food epic places to stay for the cheapest price that you could find as far as an international surf destination goes of a you know a world-class meal at a world-class restaurant in South Africa will cost you a fifth of what it would cost in Australia or the United States and the food there is as good as I mean to me I feel like as far as quality of ingredients and preparations and like sort of international influence and the food in South Africa is as good as anywhere in the world. I would put it up there with Northern California or Italy and um, and that's these days it's not just you know sort of English or South African quote unquote food. You, you get full the full spectrum of international influence. In Durban you know we did admittedly eat a lot of acai at Shane and his family's spot. There's you know, we went and hung out with Kalohe and Dino and the 2% crew and ate at this like local pizza place that was insane where, you know, a pizza would probably cost you 20 bucks in Los Angeles. They were like $4. And I swear I watched Cole Barish eat like three whole pizzas. Um, in Durban City proper, we you had to do bunny chows. If you've never had a bunny chow, it's basically a giant loaf of white bread hollowed out and filled with curry. Um, it's a nap in a bowl and one of the most intense experiences I've ever had as far as eating food goes I think for most people the, their first encounter with a bunny chow is overwhelming um, so yeah it's the South African meat pie delicious yeah it's a good way of putting yeah exactly which I will say like the uh, AVG tipped me that I think that aside from Australia that South Africa eats the most meat pies of any other country or second most meat pies of any other country um, and similar to what you guys, you know, have in Australia, uh, it's all exotic game meats. We went to this, um, this place, Nagama, on the way from Port Elizabeth to J-Bay. I don't know if you've ever stopped at that place, but they do meat pies and these, like, open fire sandwiches and with, like, every type of exotic game meat that you could ever imagine. Um, and that's, for me, like, part of what I love about South Africa is that, is, like, being able to eat 
really natural wild meat that you know was harvested in a sustainable way that you know that was raised open out in the fields and I feel like that country is pretty unparalleled with the affordability and access to that type of food yeah no nah, the most exotic thing I hit there was the ostrich at how Nina's. good is the the ostrich pole uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like a it's like a skewer of meat the size of your arm for like twelve bucks. Um, yeah, we did some ostrich, we did wild boar. There was yeah, it was it was a uh, a bit of a a bit of an excursion, and the the highlight of the trip as far as food goes was we got to go up to Cape Saint Francis to the Seal Point Lighthouse. And one of AVG's friends owns a restaurant called Nevermind that's this gorgeous restaurant that is right on the base of the lighthouse at Seal Point, which they've renovated. And it's he's, um, I don't know how to describe the food, honestly. It's like nothing I'd ever had. It was like full indigenous ingredients, like local ingredients, but put through like a full international blender of influence. Um, and probably the best restaurant that I ate at all year I would say would be never mind and AVG like the whole trip we were eating amazing food but he was like we have to finish it never mind so there was like a big expectation on it and it was the perfect closing night dinner for us to send off the trip I mean I'm no sommelier but uh, the wine getting out of South Africa is amazing what, what did you wash it down with Go on. <laughs> uh, we went through probably I don't know, 30 bottles of red wine. I remember the first time I w- that I went to South Africa, I remember running into Ryan Miller walking back from, or coming back like out of the grocery store, out of the liquor store with just like a full shopping cart full of red wine. Um, but yeah, as far as bank, the same thing, bank for your buck quality, it's unparalleled. I feel like the wine in South Africa, maybe Portugal would be similar as far as like the price and affordability and quality, but yeah, it's it was... I mean, like you said about the price of everything there in South Africa, it is a lot cheaper than Australia and the United States, which is not hard to do, especially in this day and age. But, you know, you go to Portugal or France or Spain, there's that expectation there. But with South Africa, it always caught me by surprise uh, of, of, the, of the produce and, and, and particularly, um, you know, the, the different offerings. Like you said, it's like influenced by different cultures and, you know, but still locally produced product was, you know, second to none and, Ryan Miller's a good one. If you've uh, got yourself a Yelp profile going, be sure to follow Ryan Miller if you're looking for any kind of food suggestions or wine. He'll uh, he'll definitely point you in the right direction. Can you actually like read a person's profile on Yelp? Because I can't imagine anyone who would be more entertaining as a like online food critic than Ryan Miller. I would I would genuinely read that as a column. Mil- <laughs> I hope you can because it is some of the most amusing writings you could ever learn about any place around the world he's probably one of the most traveled people in our industry and he certainly knows his way around um south africa that's for sure uh, without a doubt he's uh he's definitely got all the spots on lock you know whatever your flavor whether you're into meat and veg or just veg it's yeah one of the best places in the world if you just want to drink sparkling water or a bottle of wine it's like unbelievable the, the quality uh, of, of all the produce there yeah and with the exchange rate it's insane I think it's like 20 to 1 or something like that it's uh, it's criminal at times how cheap things are 
it is, and that's what makes it so hard for you know the traveling South Africans, like particularly the young, the young men and women doing the you know the qualifying series, which South Africa has an amazing regional offering of events to you know sharpen up your skills to then get onto the world tour but leaving leaving south africa is um yeah it's extremely difficult yeah uh when we were there we didn't get to film with her but it was the first time i'd met her but uh have you ever seen sarah bomb surf the south african goofy yeah all the time yeah she's actually um you know we could almost call her although she'd hate me saying this uh, australian she's actually yeah based out of merriweather in newcastle so yeah a big fan of sarah surfing she absolutely tears um yeah, I just saw that she qualified for the Olympics. I was like, wow, like between her and Vahine, who we got to hang with Vahine too while we were in Tahiti, uh, or while we were while we were in South Africa as well as Tahiti. But those two girls, as far as like goofy foot tube riders, like whew, gnarly. Um, but yes, I, I, I hadn't heard much from her in a while and I saw her at the Bolito Pro, like absolutely ripping. Um, and she's like on a full comeback, it sounds like. But yeah, I guess she's been in Australia for a while and is back on the QS. and. Um, it was, it was pretty rad to see like how talented the, the South African women's crew is. I mean, Sophie Bell was with us the whole trip who Sophie's like one of my favorite people that I've met on the, in the last few years in the surf world, uh, her and my wife are best friends and Sophie is so much more comfortable in heavy waves than most girls her age that, you know, that came through that sort of competitive environment. She looks like at home at off the wall as you know, as much as she does at like a two foot beach break in Durban. And you understand why there's, you understand why South Africa produces like charging surfers when you're there. It's like as raw and powerful as anywhere on the planet, I feel like. And the surfers are definitely products of their environment and the girls are no exception, um, which was pretty rad to see. We, we had Sophie with us the entire trip um, and her and Shane brought these beautiful black beauties that uh the guys from CI made for them for the J Bay swell and Shane broke his like first wave but Sophie got a bunch of good ones on it like for her I think it's like pretty stressful trying to get waves alongside like the whole world tour most of the time but I think after her performance in Hawaii last year and everyone sort of getting to know her this year she had like a totally different experience trying to get waves with like you know Steph Gilmore and uh you know Carissa Moore and the, you know all the best surfers in the world out in the water like fully like backing off when she went for a wave it, I think it was like a new experience for her which is pretty cool but yeah Sophie's um, definitely one of the the new up-and-coming faces to watch from South Africa um, and the other the other part that was cool was the first time that we went to that I went to South Africa for a no contest episode when we went and jumped off the bridge we met um, a couple of like young up and coming kids, this uh, Luke Slipen and Luke Thompson on that trip. I think they were like 14 or 15 years old that first trip that we were at J Bay when we jumped off the bridge. And they jumped off the bridge like right before we did for their first time. And this trip, they came with us for the whole road trip. Um, both of them at this point are probably like the top, you know, within the top five of the best kids out of South Africa. Um, both the Lukes, Luke Slipen is from Cape Town and Luke Thompson's originally from Durban. Um, Luke Slipen now is on the, the Volcom International team, spent his first winter at the Volcom House last year in Hawaii. And Luke Thompson is like Jordy Smith's prodigy. He's on the O'Neill International team. And I think he almost qualified this year for the tour. He, I think he was in like the top 20 on the Challenger Series. 
um, and will fully be like the next like tour threats if they uh, if they go down that path. But like you said, it's so cost prohibitive for South Africans to travel and do the world tour um, because of that exchange rate. Um, so when you do see people like rise out of that environment, like they're not <laughs> they're not doing that with the same resources as most people on tour, um, which I feel like it, it definitely creates like a bond between the whole community of South African pros because they have to band together and do it together to afford it, you know, to, to you know, renting rooms and traveling together. Like they're just this tight knit group of, um, of really close friends that have grown up doing contests together. And you realize that that's like a, it's a, you know, a bit of necessity um, for them to be able to make it as a collective. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's it's awesome to see those young women coming through and pushing the limits and showing what's possible to other young girls in their country because it is so hard to make it out of South Africa. Like, just economically, it's just so challenging. And I know you got to spend time with a surfer, Mikey Feb, who definitely has made it. You know, he's carved himself such a unique and you know admirable path in the surf world you know the guy is just one of the most talked about and watchable surfers in the world so it must have been great to spend a bit of time with Mikey you know in his home country yeah I think Mikey I think you could argue that Mikey might be the most influential surfer in the world at this point um as it to me as far as surfboard design and like a lot of different factors there's I think that people look to his surfing in like a almost like a singular way. And Mikey flew in, surfed in Durban with us for a few days, and then met us in J-Bay with Bill Finnegan, the author of Barbarian Days. Um, Bill was there traveling around with Mikey, writing a story for The New Yorker. Um, one of the most famous chapters of Barbarian Days is about Bill's time in South Africa during apartheid. So it was really cool being able to hang out with the two of them. and just to talk story about South Africa during the 80s and how everything's changed. And I'm not quite sure what he's working on as far as the story that he was reporting there with Mikey, but I'm very excited to read a New Yorker piece that has anything to do with Mikey February. Um, as, a, as a surf dork and a writer, I was the, the probably one of the highlights of the trip for me was Bill borrowing my Pukas Channel Twin mid-length to go for a quick surf with Mikey down at the bottom of the point at J-Bay. Um, but it was really cool getting to spend time with those guys down there. And, um, yeah, it felt like the same thing. Like it was just, you were in the, in such special company in such a special place for the last few days, just like standing on the balcony of the place we were staying overlooking J Bay with just waves marching into the bay, hanging out with Bill Finnegan <laughs> and Mikey Febs. Uh, it was a really, really great way to wrap up the trip. Yeah. That's insane. Like Mikey's such a unique character and then to have, Bill Finnegan getting around is obviously, you know, one of the most revered journalists that we've ever had and has written one of the greatest surf stories of all time. Like, that's just... I would have never pictured those two together. Although it's somehow not surprising when you say that they were hanging, but at the same time, it's extremely baffling. And it was cool to see, like, Bill at work, you know? I think that there was a few people that didn't know who he was, and they were like, who's this, like, this, like, older guy with a notebook, like, in the corner, like writing little things down and like keeping an eye on everybody just sort of like observing um and you know if you it's you know it's like that sort of that journalistic 
voyeurism um but to see him in action it was like very interesting like to watch him work um it yeah it felt like a very unique opportunity but yeah it was it was it was rad to hang out with bill so you got to spend some time in south africa when are you going back ashton Surely you've got a ticket book. This conversation is making me want to book a ticket. Well, it's funny. My uh, my wife and I t- took the trip together, and it was an absolute clusterfuck from start to finish. It ended up being 65 hours start to finish to get to South Africa from Hawaii. And I think it was probably 50 or something hours to get home. And when we got home, my wife was like, I love South Africa so much, but I'm not going back anytime soon. And I was like, what do you mean? I could get on a plane right now and fly straight back happily if I had the opportunity. Like, I will never miss an opportunity to go to South Africa. So um, I wish that I was able to fly there. We're doing a premiere for the episode um, this week at Shane's shop in... Durban and I think AVG is doing some premieres in Cape Town with his local crew and yeah I'm, I'm always jealous when we get to premiere no contest episodes like in the countries that we film them because they're such fun events um, so yeah I don't know when I'm going back to South Africa but it can't be soon enough you have to build it into the production schedule you know go there film the episode edit the episode return for premiere <laughs> Ashton it's been great catching up lovely to hear the tales from South Africa And we'll be catching up soon again, my friend. Have a good day over there. Thanks, Stace. Wish me luck here in Salzburg. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast and this series. If you haven't watched the episode, you can jump onto Red Bull TV now and watch it along with the rest of the episodes from the season. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.